last couple of weeks or last week, we talked about the mystery of faith. And today we're talking about mastering the mystery. So it's important that we master the mystery. Now, the fact that something is a mystery doesn't mean you can't get benefit from it. Amen. So don't let that word mystery throw you. It just means that we don't understand how it works. But we can get the benefit of it working if we we co- cooperate with God and work our faith. Amen. It's just like you. How many of y'all can take apart your vehicle and put it back together again? That don't stop you from driving it. Huh? Same thing with God's kingdom and with faith. You can understand enough to master your life in God's faith. Amen. You can master it. I'm going to put this little thing back on here. Javier, if it falls, don't move, okay? So, you know, I'm I'm good. I believe it'll stay on here, at least for a hot minute. So, praise God. Oh, it's going to stay on all time. I just got to, yeah. All right, praise God. All right, so, so this is, it's the same kind of analogy. You don't have to know all the ins and outs about anything to get it to work for you. Amen? Amen? How many of you women are married and, and you don't understand all the ins and outs about your husband? That didn't stop you from marrying him. That ain't going to stop him from working for you. <laughs> you know how to get that going. Huh? Now, if you don't, I'm not going to sit him now. We ain't going through female tricks 101 and ought zero. Go to the like the community college level courses. You know, yeah. Zero one one course. I looked at them numbers. I said, wait a minute. But anywho, but you start where you start, amen. And, and so that's marriage is a mystery. There's all kinds of mysteries. <laughs> the kingdom's a mystery. And so, you know, because if God, it's not necessary for him to explain everything to us to get it to work. We just need to follow some laws. Amen. And if you follow the laws pertaining to faith, and if you read your word and build your faith, do the things that God tells you will help you. If we could all do that, you'd find mastery of things pertaining to your life. God made faith in order for us to be able to master our lives. Amen. It's not about barely getting along. It's not about having some things and not others, it's about mastery. And you can master your life with your faith. You can get mastery over all of life's challenges, um, pleasures, the good things that you expect from life. You get mastery over all of that, amen, with your faith. So so that's what we're going to talk about in, in the faith that has no limits, how to tap into that flow and be aware of of the flow of faith. So why is faith necessary? Man, why is faith necessary? Well, we know the answer without faith it's impossible to please God. But but why faith? Why why is it he chose faith to please him? 
was a good one. Because faith really is the key to victory. In fact, faith is the victory. Amen? The, the, the reason faith is necessary, one of the reasons, is because fear is the gatekeeper of the curse. Fear is the gatekeeper of the curse. And fear must bow to faith. It has to bow to the spirit of faith. Amen. And, and so when we think about the things that would hinder us from going forward in life, fear is the main thing, even though we don't really perceive it as fear a lot of times. Cause if you would ask people, you know, well, well what what keeps your prayers from being answered or what kept you away from God and all that kind of stuff. Well, sin kept me away from God. And now my sins are forgiven and I'm saved and blah, blah, blah. But there was a gatekeeper over your life that kept you from perceiving God as your friend. And that was fear. Amen. Fear of death, fear of, of certain demise, fear, fear, uh, operates in many different realms of life. But pretty much it is a gatekeeper over the curse to keep you bound, to keep you not going forward, to keep you uh, inhibited in your love for God and your expectation of good. Uh, fear can, can, you know, it's like if you're, you're a, a five foot eleven basketball player and you dribble up to the basket and guess who comes up? And bat your little ball down. LeBron is standing there goalkeeping all the time, you know. And, and that's the way, that's the way fear is. You get ready to take a shot at life and he's right there goaltending, slapping that ball. Every time you make a, a pitch for your aim for your goal, he's there to slap it back. Tell you can't have it. Amen. So he's the gatekeeper over the curse. Because the curse is what keeps us Thinking we can't, it's not for us, and it looms up all the time in our thinking. You start having some happy thoughts, you know, like seeing your your uh, children saved and seeing them with good jobs and seeing them with happy marriages and, you know, the whole nine yards. And at the end of that thought, there's something that comes up and says, oh, well. You know, it's like you getting your balloon puffed up. And then all of a sudden somebody comes, sticks a pin in it and deflates it. Well, that's fear. That's the gatekeeper over the curse. Wants to keep you in the land of wishing you could and you can't. That would be a nice thing if it could only happen to us. Amen. Well, God, we don't need all that. Well, why are you thinking about it then? Where'd that thought to make it yours come from? Huh? Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be God, but sometimes it is. And suppose it is God. You gonna let the devil constantly bat it away and tell you it's not for you, you can't have it? And so we need to figure out how to master faith and release our faith into these situations. So that we can receive the things that God has for us. 
We just have to be about receiving. Amen. And not, not about standing still and making excuses for mediocre living and we know we want a better life, but we're afraid to even think that we could. You know, the devil comes up and says, who do you think you are? God's going to do all that for you. Huh? You understand what I'm saying? Well, you don't have to be nobody. You just be a whosoever. Yeah, devil, I ain't nobody. I'm whosoever. Because that's who that goes to, whosoever. I'm believing God. I know one thing. I'm believing you no more. Amen. I'm the whosoever person. So faith counteracts the curse. It curses the curse. Amen. Rubs it out, makes it non-existent. If unbelief brought the curse, faith can is your way out. It's your door out of the curse of the broken law. So as as people who have sinned and transgressed the law, we have this memory of disobedience. Whenever you have a memory of disobedience, there's a thought that comes to you that you don't deserve anything. I mean, that's why we dabble in in that kind of mentality. Because there's a way that you can convince yourself that you deserve not to have something or it's okay to limit what you expect from God because of well, look at what I did. I mean, we always got an answer for it. And, and, and then, but with faith, you have to break up that cycle of thinking back about misbehavior or bad behavior or omitting certain things that you should have done or could have done. And we have to think in the newness of life. We have to think like God thinks about us. Sometimes you gotta ask God, God, how should I think about myself? I'm sitting here just going crazy thinking I don't deserve anything and thinking about stuff I did wrong. I should have done better. I've been dabbling in all of that kind of mentality about myself. But your word says that my sins are forgiven and forgotten and that I'm a new creature. You know, no priors, you know, no, no, Pass no warrants out on me. Amen. Clean record. My DNA ain't at the crime scene. Amen. I mean, not even a trace, folks. So we're like cleansed from all unrighteousness. If we could get that in our thought life, it'd be great. Sometimes you just sit and think back. You know, some of the times you need to start speaking a word into your your heart. You sit back and think about something you did wrong and, oh God, I wish I hadn't done that. Well, you didn't. Listen, I'm going right out that door over to the wife. Y'all don't get... Now, if you're a new creature with no priors, why are you sitting up wishing you hadn't done something? See, if we'd let it go, we could latch on to things by faith a lot easier. Don't you know the more garbage you carry around in your brain, the harder it is. Your faith has got to push through all that stuff. You all weighted down with 
didn't do this right and didn't do that. You know, sometimes you can have a day like that where you just wake up in a bad mental condition. Just going to make you a burger and sit down and hash over all the wrong stuff in your life. Might as well add fries and a shake to that. If you're going to sin, go all the way. We're going to have one of them days. Huh? Where you just got to think about wrong stuff. See, that ain't right. If you're a new creature, you have no priors. You have no past. But you got to act like it. Now, you got to think like it. You got to change your thoughts. And you got to start ministering the word to yourself. Building up yourself. Building up your spirit man so that your, your thoughts about yourself are the same thoughts God has about you all the time. You can't take a day off to reminisce about, huh? <laughs> You know, sinners do better than us sometimes when you think about it. And building them. You ever heard some of them, them motivational sinner people? Man, they tell you the sky's the limit. Everything, this is going to turn out right. Um, what's one of their phrases? Failing forward. Even when you fail, you're making progress. They just... Christians sit back and say, wait a minute. Now we try to go fish through the word. Well, if they can confess that, we definitely should be able to. Because we don't have any failures because our sins are forgiven. You know, they'll, they'll, you know, <laughs> it's just crazy. The Bible says they're wiser in their generation than we are. They know how to put life together the right way, you know, and make it work somehow. Even with the curse, they stumble into the curse all the time. They just leap over and keep going or sit there and wait till somebody rescues them or borrow some more money or file bankruptcy and keep going. But, you know, we Christians want to sit in the corner in the penalty box and harangue about stuff that's been forgiven so long ago. It's not holding you back anymore. The devil's trying to get what he's doing to you now. Put you on pause and you got to think it through and wonder if that's the problem with why you don't have what you're supposed to be having you think in your life. It ain't the reason. It's never the reason. I said it's never the reason. Either your sins are forgiven and you believe it or you're going to keep dabbling around in the devil's occult. Trying to pull you back over into the world. So we have to learn how to go forward. Paul said it. Forgetting the things that are behind. This is a man that used to kill Christians. He was on his way to kill some more of them when Jesus slapped him off his horse and knocked him blind. See, when God knocks you down, you don't get up real quick. Or you get up totally different than what you were when you went down. Amen. So Paul's blind and stumbling around. He had a whole long time to think about what what his life was about and desire a change. Amen. 
It don't take long for people to change. You know, we look at, sometimes we look at Christians and these, oh, well, they're just a new Christian. Yeah, that's been 19 years now. You understand what? We're always trying to give people a pass for, you know, they're empowered now by the Holy Spirit. They can do so much better if they just halfway apply themselves. But the early church wasn't stumbling around saying, oh, he's just a new Christian. He can't do a whole lot. He can't help but sin. He just knew. No, they, they either, uh, um, uh, cast the sin out of each other or made sin so ashamed to even come in their camp it couldn't stay around. Or enough people get knocked off their horse and blind for a few days, they turn away from stuff. And so God has the remedy, folks, for for all of this stuff. And it's the new creation, man. We are new creatures in Christ. If anybody comes up to you and tells you, well, uh, you're so much nicer than you used to be. I say, you're not. I see you still stupid. you back working for the devil. You know, the Bible says examine yourself. It doesn't say examine each other. Anywho. But see, that's how the devil keeps you from, from experiencing your new creation life. Keep crazy saints running around you, telling you stuff and bringing up old stuff and trying to get you to remember and all this kind of stuff. I said, no, I don't remember that. Huh? And my sins are forgiven. What are you talking about? Go somewhere and try to get yours straightened out. See, everybody, we all got enough business to take care of on our own. Amen? We're trying to learn these things so we can be successful at living for God. We don't have time to pick each other apart. And you don't have time to pick yourself apart. Let all that stuff go. Ask God to teach you how to, how to be a, a new creature. How to accept that you're forgiven. How to live like a forgiven person and a cleansed person. Amen? The devil hates that. You, you, you walk around here after you've done something wrong and, and get cleansed by God and walk in the new thing. He hates that. Now he'll come after you. Look at what you just did. Give me a minute. Just wait, devil. I'm going to do some more. And I'm going to get forgiven again. And I'm going to keep living for God. I'm definitely not going to live for you no more. Because you don't pay people right. I live for you. I was sick, depressed, crazy. I was like, no, you don't pay people right for living for you. I'm living for God. If I never, if I never get more than enough money to pay my bills, I'm living for God. I don't have to have every dollar down here on this earth. I'm living for God. Uh huh. Yeah, you ain't right, devil. You don't do people right. Huh? And I'm gonna do you wrong every chance I get. Amen. So the other thing we have to be aware of, too, is the timing of God in our lives. There are certain things that God has ordained for our lives that that you have to get in sync with God's plan for your life. And, and be bold and confident in asking him what 
to do, what to pray about, what what do I do now, God? And and have the things that you need to do before you and invite God in to lead you, to direct you, give you wisdom, empower you, give you favor, all of the things you need. You want God involved in those things so that you can get them accomplished. Many times we're reluctant to take on certain things because we're concerned about the outcome. Much more concerned about the outcome than we need to be. Amen? Because if God is in charge of it, the outcome is certain. And the outcome's always good. You just got to make sure that you obey God in these things. Your biggest job is not missing a beat. And when you miss one, be quick to repent and be quick to want to get back on the right road again. Amen. And so when these things happen, it's not a failure on our part. And and we need to get the fear of failure and the idea of failure out of our heads because when God is involved in your life, there is only success. That's all he's put. He's getting involved in your life for you to be successful. He's He's not just there for, uh, you know, somebody judging you every move you make and trying to stay in your way. And, oh, God, if I'm scared if I don't do, I'm not doing this right and all this, you know. Don't labor over your weaknesses. Yield them up to God. You know, he knows they're there. If that's not stopping him from working with you, then they shouldn't stop you from working with him. He's got a plan for all of that stuff. Amen? The Bible says when we're weak, that's when we are strong. Because when you're weak and you know it, you sit down somewhere and you say, well, Lord, just help me. And he's been waiting for you to say that while you've been out there doing your thing and feeling powerful. He's been waiting for you to run out of steam so he can get involved and take over and show you how much easier it is with him. See, we'll never know it until we experience it. You know, we run around do a lot of things that he wants to straighten out for us make it easier for us amen uh it's no challenge just to keep doing things the same old way and exhausting yourself you know you want to put your your life on autopilot and let god then direct the things he knows the times and the seasons for everything Sometimes we're in a hurry for stuff because it's a burden to us and we want it out of the way so we won't feel like we feel about it. You know, just, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, you know, just chill, okay? He knows when these things are due. He knows when they're coming. He knows when they're due in your life. We live in a kingdom where kingdom considerations have to always be taken into account 
This isn't your life living in your house with your little your little business you have to take care of your job, your family, your this, your that's not all there is to you. You live in a kingdom community that's regulated from heaven. God's trying to teach you how to bring heaven down here on earth. Not just get stuff done. Amen. It's bringing heaven down here on earth. I didn't want all that. Well, that's too bad. Mm-hmm. Right. He's going to change your likes, your dislikes, your wants, your want-tos, your don't-want-tos. He's going to change all of that. Amen. Because he's God. He wants to, he wants to pull the best out of each and every one of us. Amen. Amen. You know, we, we put ourselves in charge of our self-improvement. And most of us can't even keep a gym day. You know, I, I, I like these people. You know, you see them on, uh, you see them on Facebook and stuff and they get on there and, oh yeah, I worked out this morning. That you see one of them videos like every three months. And the way they be telling it, you know they want to say it all the time. So much for our power to self-improve. And then when you see those people who are successful at it, you look at them, you think, well, listen, if it's going to cost all that now, they're a little strange, a little wired. They got a blender and a juicer and a dehydrator. And it's like, do y'all ever eat normal food? I mean, Self-improvement is very costly. It really is. Self-anything is costly. Now, I'm not saying some of that thinking ain't working for them and, you know, all that. But you know what, God, I don't care how good you can do stuff in the natural. God has a much better plan for you that's supernatural. I was listening to a, a, a minister talk about some of the miracles they had in their meetings. And he was saying that there was a woman there in the meeting. I don't know what her problem was, and I don't think I ever. But he said all of a sudden her skirt fell off of her. I said, get me to that meeting. Because she done lost some weight. She lost it. Her waist went from like a 40 or 38 inch to down to a 28 or something like that. Uh-huh. See, God does stuff like that to show us how crazy we are sometimes. Spending the time we spend, and we're not really accomplishing it. And this is the thing about the carnal frame, the carnal mind. Your carnal mind thinks if he thinks about it a lot, stresses over it, reads a lot of stuff on the Internet, he thinks he's doing something. Huh? Putting in our time, doing our, doing our, uh, as Max say, do your research. Doing our research. We done researched everything. We done went on web, every kind of site to find out about this stuff. And still no smarter. 
I go on YouTube and I watch videos and, and, you know, I do it for entertainment, but I always say, well, I'm going to do some of this stuff. I never do. I watched the Asian street food video where this guy had a stack of eggs like this and he did all of them and made omelets all day long. I thought to myself, why are you watching this? Are you going to get, are you going to make omelets all day long? Huh? Or you watch them these, they're in these remote villages and they get this big round thing and start cooking stuff and feed a whole village of people. And I think to myself, it's just me and Coco. What am I watching this for? Well, that's the self-improvement kick, folks. We watch stuff because we just get interested and not going to use it. It's the same thing with all these other things that, that they do. Amen? I have bought every keto product. Yeah. And, and, you know, all these different little supplement things, they say, oh, you know, if, if you get older and, and you can't remember, you gotta have this thing. And I thought to myself, I sat down one time and I was thinking about, it, I said, well, what do I do with my glasses? And, and my eyes fell on my glasses. And the Holy Ghost said, I'm your remembrance supplement. He said, I bring to remembrance for you all things. Huh? Barb, get off the internet looking for stuff to help your brain. That's right, girl. (laughs) If we let him, he will help us. All we got to do is quit standing in the way, listening to the world, picking up their habits, their antics and their shenanigans. Amen. Just stop it. Get in your word. Let God get your faith stirred up. Keep stirring your faith up till you're convinced it won't fail you in anything. It's pure and holy. It's the faith of Jesus working through you and that's what you need to remember his faith won't fail as long as you you have faith in god's word that is the faith of the son of god that's jesus's faith working through you because it's in his word and if you don't know what the word says stay in the word get in there some more Amen. Get in there until you know you you over you're over full with the word and then stay in there some more. Just keep staying in the word of God and keep letting your faith build. So so we have to be willing to use our faith to provoke limits and break them. You have to your faith provokes limits. Your body says that you can't run up a flight of stairs. Your body says that you can't, um, uh, you know, that, that it's short on insulin or, you know, too much blood sugar or too much blood pressure. Your body says all those things. 
And then your faith comes up and says, no, wait a minute. We're not taking that for an answer. So your faith has actually picked a fight with your body. Uh huh. He's provoked your body to conform to God's word. Amen. He provoked it. And so we have to have this provocative faith working in us at all times. This is a faith that challenges the status quo. It challenges the world system. It challenges whatever it is that it sees in the natural that's not agreeable to what God's word says for you and about you. So your faith will will provoke these things and break limits. Your life may seem to be going nowhere. Until you start looking at what the word says it's supposed to be and you're challenge, you begin to challenge and provoke the situation with your faith. Amen? You have to learn how to put your faith into operation. Amen? And so we're, we're gonna talk about that. We, we, we'll look at, at Joseph and see what he did to put his faith into operation. In Genesis chapter 37, We'll go there first. In verse 1, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bila, Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Now when it says Joseph brought his father an evil report, he was what we call in the family a tattletale. He, and he was Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Now, children have certain positions and certain, um, I guess you, characteristics assigned to them by God. So if you've got a tattletale in the house, there ain't a whole lot you can do. You understand what I'm saying? Now you can, you can make them a little streetwise and say, now don't go to school telling on your because they're going to meet you after school and beat you up. Do you understand? Well, you can't do this everywhere. You can teach them a little discretion, a little wisdom with that gift. But there are some children who have a higher moral sense than others. Now, you go, and, and especially if you got them in church, you're going to find one that takes it a little more seriously than the others do. They're not going to want to get involved in, in all of the, don't tell mama, don't, they don't, they don't want to be a party to that. You see what I'm saying? Those people are set up for persecution already. They get it early. Sometimes they get it throughout their lives. It's, it's just what God has given them. That's what they have to work with. And so, and, and, and they will be called out by others because of it. Amen. 
there is something God puts in them that doesn't want to tamper with right and wrong. They want black over here, white over here. There's no gray to them. And everybody else, you you know, you might have a kid in the house. Everything is mischief to them. They don't care. Then you got one that's, you know, ah, they mischievous one day and they're goody two-shoes the next day. They look gray people. But then you've got some that are just white. And they want it right. They want it um, the way it's supposed to be. They have this kind of built-in fear of the Lord kind of thing. And they're able to take spiritual things more seriously at an early age than others are. And so if you have one of those in your house, just be forewarned. That's the way things are, you know, that's the way things are going to be. They're going to correct you sometimes. They're going to be able to impart to you some, some of God's wisdom. And it is a gift of God. You know, don't try to beat it out of them, talk it out of them or anything like that. Just let them be them. Amen. So Joseph then has this dream. And and because he's already favored by his father, his father loved the mother a lot, and, and you know there's a whole story behind that, and and, uh, and and he showed a difference. Joseph and Benjamin were the last two of his children, and so he he said and he loved him. Verse three, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his children, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So they never had anything good to say to Joseph, about Joseph, nothing. They all hated him. The father loved him, and sometimes this is a, it, it, it can be a dynamic in a family. You know how some kids get picked on a lot by the bigger kids or something in a family and parents have to break it up all the time. And, and this was probably this kind of situation. You know, the, the father, it didn't start out, I think, that the father just loved him, period, you know, and that was the end of the story. It was a dynamic where the father looked and saw they picked on him and the father had to show him that he was loved and go kind of a little extreme in that. Amen. So it, it's not just happening by itself. And this dad says, I'm going to do this and set this kid up to get beat up. It's dynamic. It's fluid. One day the kids are picking and the dad sees it. And the, he, Joseph is over there by himself looking hurt. And the dad has to console him. You understand? It's, it's not an evil situation. It's a dynamic situation. And so sometimes family setups get like that. You don't intend to mess it up. It gets messy. It's going to be worse if you didn't intervene somehow. See what I'm saying? And so so uh, when his brethren saw that their father loved him, they hated him, didn't say anything good about him. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it to his brethren. And they hated him yet more. And he said to them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, they were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around it, and and bowed to my sheaf. And the brethren said to him, you think you're going to rule over us? You punk. Ah, 
Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet more for his dreams and for his words. So here it goes. This is how your faith provokes yourself to challenge where you're at. Joseph is in a position where he's hated by his brothers and he needs out of it. Because if they continue to hate him, they're going to kill him. His only way out is using his faith. And he really doesn't know that that's what he's doing. But he dreamed, he believed, and he spoke. And that's the pathway for your faith provoking your status quo. You dream or you meditate in the word of God. You speak it. Amen. I mean, you believe it and then you speak it. So your faith is unleashed by your words. Always. See, we've always felt that prayer was the only speaking we needed to do in using our faith. But then we came into a knowledge of Mark eleven twenty three that tells us that when we believe something, we have to say it. Not just pray it, but say it. Because that scripture contains instructions for praying and saying. Amen. It says when you stand praying, forgive. It says when you pray, believe that you receive it at the time that you pray. And you'll have it. You can't go away believing it's going to come later. You got to believe you got it now. Amen. Faith is always your receipt for things to come. Amen. Faith is your receipt for things to come. And you got to believe you possess them when you ask for them. Other than that, you're not taking God at his word. If you believe God's word, you've got to believe that you receive it because you believe his word. At the time you believe his word is when you receive it. Amen. So you can receive from God by believing his word and believing you have it already. Or you can petition God for it and ask But you must believe that at the time you ask, you've received it. You've got it already. You're not waiting on anything. You have everything you need. So as you go, then you go saying what you believe. And you don't say anything other than what you believe. Because you want to see it come to pass. No saying, no having. If you're ashamed to say it, God's ashamed to give it to you. Huh? I'll say it again. He said, if you're ashamed of me and my word. Hello? Somebody find that for me. I think we need to look at it and make sure. He said, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. Which means that they're sitting at the throne ministering over your prayer. Huh? Which one? Thank you. Like I said, no, I'm not going to. Luke 9, 26. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
You ever notice that sometimes some things sound so good to you that God's going to do, you're afraid to confess it? Uh-huh. That's shame. That's what he's talking about here. Luke 9, what? Thank you. Uh, like I said, let me find 926. And it's about saving and losing your life. See, in order for you to receive from God, you gotta lose your life. You gotta lose your, your, uh, shame. You gotta lose your pride. You gotta lose yourself. You gotta lose all of that. And Jesus says here, verse 25, for what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose his soul or himself be a castaway? Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come into his own glory and in his fathers and the holy angels. And so at the throne, if you're ashamed to confess that you're healed and you have an obvious limitation or infirmity, or you're ashamed to say God has blessed you with something, amen, and, and the unction is there to speak it, you know. I had to watch myself with stuff like that. You know, sometimes God would move on me to share certain things when, when I'm preaching. Well, preachers tell everything pretty much. Sooner or later, you know pretty much everything about us that God wants you to know. And I had to watch myself checking myself to figure out if it sounded like I was bragging or it sounds like I'm, you understand what I'm saying? Your, your carnal mind wants to start catching you. Entrapping you in certain things. And, and so you have to be careful about that. That shame thing will creep up on you at different times to make you swallow the word back, you know, and not get it out of your mouth because it's in your heart and it is in your mouth. You just got to release it. So sometimes that word needs to be released and you don't even know why. You know, you, he can have you say something and you're not even consciously aware that you need to make that utterance. He'll just have you say it because it needs to be released from you because he's working on that. Amen. And so we have to trust that. So he says, if, if you're ashamed of me and ashamed of my word, so don't hide the word. Don't push it out of your mouth. Let it be spoken. You're, you're, you're saying the word for you and for heaven's sake. You're not saying it for people. And we always scatter what people are going to think if we tell them what God's really doing. Amen? I mean, it, 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 it's not, you're, you're not wanting to say it out of, you know, out of tune or out of time or, um, you know, or out of your flesh. Sometimes it's just in your heart to speak certain things. And God put that word there. So you can't stifle it and be ashamed of it. So Joseph is not ashamed of his dream. He's just an excited kid and this dream has caught his attention, man. This is, this is unique and different. He doesn't know what it means. And so the brothers get even more angry at him. And it says they hated him for his dreams and for his words. 
People are going to hate you for your words. Amen. I remembered getting a prophecy as very young in the things of God. And I remember sharing that with someone. And we were all, you know, kind of like new in the things of God. I was newer than some of these women. They've been in this ministry for a while. And I remember speaking to one of the ladies and telling her what my prophecy said. And she said, oh, you just got the overflow from my prophecy. You understand what I'm saying? Hate it for your words. You got me? See, sometimes people have to feel they have to throw a wet blanket on what, you know, and God shielded me immediately and told me, he said, you can't share everything with everybody. And I learned, and the other thing is that prophets have a different unction on their words. See, I can tell you a prophecy God gave me and, and it's, it's gonna sound different coming from my voice than it would somebody who doesn't have that anointing. So prophets tend, their words tend to jar you and boom. You know, cause that's why we're here. The word, the world needs to be jarred and boomed. If it could be carried out under a different unction, God would give it to somebody else. And and it cuts through a lot of darkness. You see what I'm saying? And so declaring it that way put that person under some kind of conviction or something. They had to come up with something to put a blanket on that. See, they're, they're anointing killers everywhere. So if they can put it, and, and a lot of times people aren't doing it consciously. This something just rises up in them and tells them to counter it. Say this. Huh? Don't let them get too far out there. You harness them back. Make them ashamed. Make them stop. Huh? I mean, these are dynamic situations. You can get involved with a lot of saints that will build you up all the time. And then you get in a situation and one curveball comes in there. Amen? That's the devil. He likes the curveball. Listen, if you're too wound up and carried away with stuff, God lives in you. He'll harness you. A man's job to harness you. Huh? Who are you to criticize another man's servant? <laughs> I don't belong to them. I belong to God. And none of us was each other's pastors either. We were just all on the same level playing field. Amen. Trying to find God. And so here Joseph dreamed a dream and said it. That was his, that's what got him in trouble. Amen. And, and, and so the brothers then, he says, he dreamed yet another dream. And the brethren said, behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And the sun and the moon, 11 stars bowing to me now. I'm on a roll. See, everybody's in the flesh. See, Joseph heard it. Now his carnal mind's grabbed it and he's kind of blabbing it. But he needs to speak it. If he don't speak it, it won't happen. After he speaks it, then it's provoked. His situation is provoked. Amen. 
His life is provoked. Everything that happens after this is more or less the plan of God for him. And that's what you got to know about releasing your faith. Once you release your faith into a situation, everything that happens subsequent to that is the plan of God for you. The good and the bad. Amen? Because if your faith has provoked trouble for you, you got to continue to use your faith to provoke good stuff for you. Amen? But your faith is a provocative force in the earth. Amen? Causes things to be shaken up. Causes things to be different. Amen? And so because he dreamed, believed, and spoke, Joseph was set on a course that eventually led to um, a revolution, I would say, in the nation of Egypt, a revolution among the people of the known world at that time. What he did was totally revolutionary. Amen. And so we all have that desire in us to be soul winners, nation shakers, earth changers. But what do we dream and what do we believe and what do we speak? We need to speak that we're world changers. We need to speak that we are soul winners. We need to speak those things and provoke the status quo with our faith. You know, people always talk about, well, you know, it needs more prayer. It needs more believing. It needs more people who are provoking atmospheres with their faith. Just go out and do what God tells you to do, where he tells you to do it. Amen? And and always stay ready to obey God. Stay full of the word. Amen? Always, always be a dreamer. Always put yourself in a place where you're making a difference for God. Always be that person that wants to be out in the forefront of making things change for the better. Amen. Getting people into the kingdom. Getting people saved. Getting people praying for the sick. Amen. You don't know if if God will show up and heal them until you get out and pray for somebody. Amen. And and he will heal people. He says he will if you believe. Well, I don't know if I believe or not. Well, you keep your car in neutral. You don't know if it will drive you out of your front yard. We want to do everything but pull the trigger. Uh-huh. So we know when we pull the trigger, you can't pull that bullet back and put it back in the gun. We're off to the races then. No more control over everything. Well, you know, I have my time with the Lord, and then what? Huh? We all are guilty. Come on now. We all could do more. So faith actually provokes divine intervention at will and provokes divine favor. Amen? Provokes both of those. So Joseph had divine intervention throughout his life. Amen? And he had divine favor. First intervention, his brothers wanted to kill him. They threw him in the pit. I think the elder brother said, don't kill him. You know, they 
God will always have somebody speak up for you. He might even been the ring leader and all of a sudden the ring leader has a change of heart. God can change anybody. Amen. Don't underestimate what he can do. You know, these people talk this stuff about, well, you know, you have free will. I don't. I have, I have free will in so long, I have free will in decades. I dedicated my will to the will of God. And even people who have quote unquote free will, God knows how to convince you to obey him. Well, how did we all get here? Huh? We was free will agents running around doing this, that, and the other, and all of a sudden we kept hitting brick walls, didn't we? Cried out to God. You weren't trying to get get saved. You was trying to get help. And salvation showed up. So don't give me this free will stuff. He's the God of all flesh and nothing's too hard for him. Huh? We is all flesh. (laughs) So faith really provokes divine intervention. It provokes God to do something. Amen. It gets him involved. And your stuff. In Matthew chapter 9, <clears throat> we turn there. Let me see. Um, start in verse 1. Uh, thank you, Jesus. He entered into a ship, passed over, came to his own city. Behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. Jesus saw their faith. That's the best kind of faith to have, is the kind that he can see. You know, where you get up and do something, moving towards something you want, and you're not sure it's there. Amen? That's the best kind of faith to have. You're just moving out toward it. You're not sure you're going to get it today or not, but you're moving toward it. Amen. You didn't get it yesterday, but today you're going to move toward it again. Amen. And that's that's the kind of faith he sees everything we do. And he says, when he saw their faith, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. He saw their faith and said to the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, in the account in Luke, it says when they first came to the door, they couldn't get in for the press. Let me see if I can find that one real quick. I think Luke 5. Thank you. Yeah. I knew that. No, <laughs> how come I can't quit? I just always, I know. Y'all gonna throw me out and send me to the Y in a minute. Verse uh, 517 came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law 
sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee. Come on now, y'all. That many religious spirits all in one place. You know they ain't there for no good. They didn't come from Jerusalem, Judea, I mean, <laughs> And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. With all that nonsense, shenanigans, mayhem, and mischief sitting up on the front rows, the power of God is still present to heal. Now some days, you know, you'll have, you'll be challenged by these kinds of spirits. And you'll have to use your authority to get that atmosphere in order so that God can do some work. But I think God just looked at it and said, no, nah, not today, not here, and not now. I'm going to show up anyway. And it's good for religious devils to know sometimes that they don't run everything all the time. And they run enough stuff. They run into Muslims. They run into Jehovah's Witnesses. They run into, come on now. And God says, no. Not here, not today, not now. So he shows up with more power than they are able to concoct. That's why they're coming in droves. Because they haven't been able to stop Jesus from doing anything. This is how the devil operates. He's a gang banker. Huh? He brings a bunch. A lot. Huh? You know, I marvel at how sometimes they can do an altar call at a funeral and get people saved. The religious show up in droves. They don't miss a funeral. Huh? Saints trying to, you know, barely getting there and kids acting up and you gotta get them in order and you want to go pay your respects and all this and all that, but the religious are always there and they on time. Got the best seats. So the power of God was present to heal them. Behold, men brought in a man which was taken with a palsy. And they tried to get in through the front door and weren't able to. For all the religious devils sitting up in there. And when they could not find a way that they might bring him in because of the multitude of religious spirits. They went up on the housetop and led him down through the tile. And I bet some of them demons helped them. Because God can do that too. And when he saw their faith. So faith really does not take no for an answer. Faith does not see obstacles. Faith blows through obstacles. 
They could care less if they tore that man's house up. They were getting healed that day. And they were not taking no for an answer. Amen. Sometimes people get all the way up to the altar and let the enemy talk them out of using their faith. Huh? They get to the point of releasing their faith and then the devil tells them something goofy. I see it all the time at our healing services. You know, people will be patient. They'll, they'll, you know, listen to the teaching. And then when they get up to get prayed for, they start looking around to see who's looking at them. And it just goes, shh, you know. So the enemy is working all the time to see if he can steal from us, folks. Just because you made it to the meeting doesn't mean you're going to get what you came for. There are a lot of people that went to Jesus meetings and didn't get anything. You understand what I'm saying? It, these certain people are the ones with faith. The ones we hear about are the ones that have faith. But many shrugged their shoulders and kept going. You know, even at his meetings. It says, when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. He did that in honor of the Pharisees. Because there's a reason he said that. Now this young man might have been under some condemnation. Or might have been thinking that he wasn't worthy. But that's not really the reason for that. Because Jesus kind of explains this. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason saying. Who is this which speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he he said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? He says, what's easier to say? What's easier to say? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. In other words, Jesus is saying either one of these things that I told him would have gotten him healed. Because he was really healed already by virtue of his faith. Huh? His faith was already working in him. All Jesus had to do was to acknowledge him and put the capper on it. So he says, what do you want me to say? What's easier? Huh? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. So he tells the young man, get up and walk. Huh? But anything God chooses to say under that anointing, would have brought healing and wholeness to that young man. Pharisees get hung up on specific words and specific situations and how they sound. Religious people always do. What they're there for and what they're looking for, I believe most of the time, is to copy something you say So it sounds like you, and they can get the results that you get. But they were never able to do that with Jesus, because every time he showed up, he he was in a new bag. Huh? Yeah. Today it's the, I don't know, what's going to mess some heads up the most? Probably what he's thinking, I don't know, Holy Spirit, what we going to do today? To confound them and mess them up permanently. 
whatever Jesus would have said by faith would have provoked them devils. Huh? They wasn't liking nothing he ever said. But they would nitpick to see if they could convince other people that Jesus was wrong. This was the reason for their confrontation. Was to put him down and discredit him. And see if they could turn the multitudes away from him. But they were never able to do it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is fresh and new all the time. See, when Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, you're going to be persecuted. They're going to take you to judges. They're going to take you to court. They're going to do all this stuff. And he says, let me give you a tip from somebody who's been doing this for a little bit. Don't think ahead of time what you're going to say. Jesus never thought ahead of time what he was going to say. He would not give you some advice he don't take. He said, no, I'm just, you know, uh, freestyling. Being the Holy Ghost, we freestyling. He does what he sees my father do, and my father tells him, and he tells me what to do. Huh? So we don't have no rehearsed stuff around here. Everything we have is fresh. <laughs> yes. You gotta stay fresh to stay ahead of the devil. Cause he'll take your own words and copy them and try to give them back to you. Amen. So he told that boy, get up. He says, uh, he says, I say to you, arise, take up your couch and go to your house. And immediately got up, took up his couch, departed to his own house, glorifying God. Amen. Faith glorifies God at the end and at the beginning. Cause really, when you believe you receive it, when you pray, you give glory to God. You start, you start thanking God for it. If you don't thank him, you really don't believe you got it. Amen? You must believe you have it because you thank God for it. And if your carnal mind tries to get involved and you start questioning it and want to want to keep wondering, wondering, you start slapping yourself. Say, no, God, I received that already. I thank you. Huh? Well, we ain't going to go down that road again. Took me too long to get off of it. And GPS don't help. Most of y'all can't figure out which one of them voices y'all want talking to. <laughs> Women don't want a man talking to them, and man, men want a woman talking to them. But when she sounds too bossy, they no, I want on you. Turn left. Turn left. Turn left. Get somebody on there to nag you. Oh. So they broke up the roof, the tile. That, that was their faith in action. When Jesus saw that, that got his attention. Amen. They were committed to God for their healing. They were, your faith commits you to God and commits God to you to perform what it is you desire. So your faith is your commitment to God. 
and his his commitment to you because you're using his faith. So it's a faith that you two share. You're a part of it and God's a part of it. Amen. In Matthew 9:28, you see some blind men. Their faith. Verse 27, Jesus departed there. Two blind men followed him, crying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come to the house, now these men have followed him for a bit. Not like that guy that tore up the roof. This is a different situation. When they, he was, they were crying after him and he kept walking. Now why didn't he stop and turn around and deal with it? You know, sometimes you, you ever ask God for something and you're nervous, you ain't gonna get it, and you're just curious a little bit? That's how faith first gets started. That's your first installment of faith. Your faith is used by installments. You don't have perfect faith the first time you ask for something. If you did, you'd have it right away. It wouldn't be called faith, then it'd be called something else. Maybe like magic or something. It worked like that all the time. My goodness. But he says, and when he was come to the house, the blind man came to him, and Jesus questioned them. He said, do you believe I can do this? Why didn't he say that before? Timing is everything. See, you can pray for somebody too soon. You can lay hands on them too soon. If you know how to hang with the Holy Ghost and the patience of God, timing is everything. So they first start asking, crying out. See, he's probably been through this a lot, Jesus has. Somebody's hollering on the streets, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. He keeps going, and they stay back there where they are. So he wants to see who's really following him. It really means what they're asking for. Because faith has a very hollow ring when we first start to use it. You know, and we think we've done something big and we expect it any minute now. And we're just getting started. We're just getting on the road. So this is the road of faith that they get on. Where you have to follow Jesus for a while. If you think you could just drop into God's presence, get what you want, like a robber and a thief, and run off with it, you got another thought coming. He says, if you abide with me and my word abides in you, you can ask what you want. There's a living together we got to do with him. This ain't no hooker's enterprise where you just drop in and get something off a man for free and keep going. They don't do that. This is the kingdom, man. Let's straighten up here. Let's ask, act like holy women, like we got some respect for God. Let's jump in and get something and go home. No, you ain't living like that. You don't abide with him. He wants to marry you. 
This ain't like all the other stuff in your life. This is the real deal. I mean, a human being wouldn't like being treated like that. We feel like we deserve a little bit better. So he, they've got to build their faith. Your faith is built by resistance. As Jesus keeps walking, he's resisting them. And he's testing their faith to see if it's going to meet the resistance. Is it the faith of the Son of God or is it that cheap stuff y'all operate in you think is faith? Huh? The cheap stuff won't hold up. Anybody can holler out to God for uh, five minutes and if they don't get anything, shrug their shoulders and go back to what they were doing. But these men were different. They followed it. And Jesus made sure they followed them long enough so they could be committed to what they were asking for. God has to see that we're committed to what we're asking for. You're not just collecting answers to prayer. You're committed. And he says, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes. He didn't do that back there because they weren't in a place where their faith was active and and provoking enough. So their faith was able to provoke him to ask them to release it. The following was an indication that they believed, but then they needed to have an open door to release their faith. So he opens the door after they've, they followed him long enough for him to know, yeah, they're sincere. They want this. But I still got to put the capper on it. I got to get them to release their faith with their words. Amen. So they had to believe he was able. And he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And it says their eyes were open. So they told him the truth. See, you don't know if your faith is working or not till you get what you ask for. I mean, we feel it and we know it and we believe we're in faith, but the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Amen? Did your eyes get open or didn't they? If your eyes opened, you believed. Amen? It's just that simple. So while we're running around here trying to prove to everybody we got faith, we need to shut up. And go sit down somewhere and let God, show God your faith. Forget about these crazy saints. Is people going to be questioning your faith until Jesus comes? Huh? And beyond if they could get to you. You understand what I'm saying? But where you need to show your faith is show it to God. Have it it thou faced, have it between yourself and God. Amen. That's where it belongs. Amen. You don't have to prove yourself to nobody else. Amen. People don't have nothing for you. It's a distraction to weaken your faith when people start getting involved. Amen. And just just look at every conversation as a battle and determine that you're going to win it. Amen. Because it's between you and God. Amen. All right. Praise God. Well, Father, we thank you for your word and thank you, Lord, that you've given us understanding. Thank you, Lord, for the good things that you have for us. They cannot be removed. That our faith is the key to our victory. Our faith is provoking us 
to good works and to the great things you have for us. So we thank you for what you're doing with our faith. Let's do our confession, our declaration. I don't have Rona, and she don't have me. I can't get Rona, and she can't get me. And I thank you, Lord, that by the stripes of your son, Jesus, we are healed. Amen, amen, and amen again. It's so decreed. Amen. Praise God.